0: We're continuing our four-week study in the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 2 today. And if you want to just follow along with the series, uh, we'll be in this book for the next two weeks. And we'll go to each chapter. So last week we're in chapter 1. This week we're in chapter 2. Next week we'll be in chapter 3. The week after that we'll be in chapter 4. And basically what we're looking at is how do we protect our heart from infection? And as you all know, some of you are still getting sick. I I just hate to hear that. Some of you are still getting that... um, Stomach, nasty virus, you know, and you don't know which way is up sometimes with those viruses. And, um, you know, we we go through the winter months and we got the flu and colds and just being locked up inside. And um, uh, we try to protect ourselves by washing our hands and and trying to keep ourselves from infection because we become sick. And and when you're sick, we're good to nobody, right? We're just miserable people, especially us men when we're sick. Um, And so, how do we protect our hearts from being spiritually infected with with certain things and and as we read through the book of philippians what you're going to see is 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 paul the apostle paul writing to a church in philippi that he's he's very proud of it's it's the first church that was started under his care in europe and this this his writing is not really out of any kind of major concern or rebuke or correction like he was writing the church in Corinth, it really was to encourage them to keep going forward. The things that they first heard from the Apostle Paul, he's encouraged them to continue in their walk with him, not to give up, to, to allow their hearts to be protected from things that can easily infect it and, and, and cause them to go astray. And I just, I'll be honest with you this morning, I just love chapter 2 of the book of Philippians because everything we've sung this morning uh, just teased this whole message up for us uh, this morning. The, the bottom line is uh, when we are unhealthy spiritually and when we are infected with something, how many know that not only can it affect our lives, but it can spread to other people and eventually it can spread to, to, to throughout the church. And, and, and the reason we get sick spiritually is for the simple reason is that our life is unbalanced. There, there's something in our life that is out of whack that's not balanced. And and for for a follower of Jesus Christ, we've got to make sure that our our pressures are not leading us, that the priorities that we've placed in Christ Jesus are leading us. And how many know that there are things in our lives that can easily distract us from a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. There's so many pressures that come in. There are so many other uh Peripheral things in our lives that can come in that can distract us from having a balanced life with Jesus Christ. Um, and, and we have to realize the healthier I am as a believer and a follower of Christ, the healthier uh, the church is, my family is, my relationships, my marital relationship. I, I love the way this one author uh, uh, puts it. Uh, Lance Witt, a pastor, writer, he says this about our lives and how we have to be careful to keep our lives in balance. Let me quote what he says. He says, we all have a front stage life and a backstage life. The front stage is the public world. It's where we're noticed, where the spotlight is on us, where people applaud and affirm us. On the front stage, everything is orderly and neatly in its place. It's where we put the most time and effort because it's what people see. But we also have a backstage life. And the two are connected. The front stage is our public life and the backstage is our private world. The backstage is always dark. It's usually messy. The audience isn't allowed there. Backstage has no spotlight and no glory. What happens backstage uh, facilitates and empowers what takes place on the front stage. If we neglect the backstage Eventually, the front stage will fall apart. And see, listen, a a destroyed life that eventually goes off its rail, goes off the train tracks, usually doesn't happen overnight. Can I give an amen? Usually what happens is it's stuff that we've been ignoring in our private world for weeks, months, and years. And eventually it comes out in some way. It, it, it just doesn't happen overnight. It, it happens because we've neglected something in our heart. We've neglected something that the Lord has been trying to deal with us. And we've shut the Lord out from allowing him to deal with this part of our life. And eventually it's going to come out in the front part of our life. And we, we have to allow ourselves to realize, Lord, how am I manicuring? How am I taking care of the clutter in the backstage of our lives? where no one else sees because that's really what the Lord cares about the Lord really cares about your private life he really cares about what's going on in your heart not what everybody else sees not what we're portraying to everyone else because we know that that all of us here we can easily play the game right we can pretend and we can tell people things like, oh, it's okay, everything's wonderful. People ask, how are you doing? You say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, everything's wonderful. And you put on your little Christian faces, right? And we'd say, you know, everything's great, but meanwhile, we're hurting inside. Everything's not good. It's not okay. And if we're not careful and if we don't deal with that and expose and put the spotlight on the backstage of our life, it's eventually going to come out on the front stage. And that's where Jesus cares about. Those are the things that God cares about. It's easy to allow allow things in our lives that are spiritual and healthy, if not taken care of, to eventually harm our relationship with God. The the theme of these four weeks is found in Philippians 1.10. And let me read it to you. Paul's saying, so that you may be able to discern what is best and to be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. You see, Paul tells us in his letter the reason for his joy and how we can live an infection-free life. In order to live this infection-free life spiritually, we have to look at the backstage of our lives. What's going on there? The stuff that no one else sees. The stuff I'm struggling with. The, the, the stuff that I'm embarrassed to maybe share with someone else. The, the, the stuff that God is concerned with. The front stage is where most people see our lives, but, and it's what we want the world to see. But God wants to deal with your secret world. God has to have access to the backstage of our lives if we're going to truly be set free. So what basically, we need to ask ourselves, what are the messy things? Just be honest with ourselves this morning. What are the messy things in the backstage of our lives? And so last week, what we looked at is we looked at an ungrateful heart. There was something that gave the apostle Paul joy more than anything else, and that was that the followers and Philippi were growing in the Lord and Paul was thankful for what they were doing and Paul just had a grateful heart for what God was doing. So we talked about making sure that we don't have an ungrateful heart, that we thank God for everything and we're appreciative of everything that the Lord has done in our heart and that protects us from an unhealthy life. And so Paul was filled with joy, rejoicing over what God was doing in their lives. Paul wanted to make sure that they continue to grow. And so today what I want to talk about is last week we talked about having an ungrateful heart, but chapter 2, is really interesting because what Paul deals with here is the attitude of our mind. He deals with the the heart and the motivation of why we do what we do for Jesus Christ. What should be our motivation as believers? What is a true definition of a follower of Jesus Christ? So this week what I want to unpack is another area that can infect our lives if we're not careful and that infection is, is the infection of selfishness. And, and if we're not careful, if we don't deal with selfishness, um, it, can, it can ruin marriages, it can ruin relationships. And I know none of you in this room ever deal with selfishness. So I know I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Uh, uh, how many know that even as you that have raised children or have children, at a very young age, you can see the selfishness even in little, little children, right? God bless them but they're little sinners too, right? They are, they're little sinners. And, but God love them. We love little children, but they're sinners. And, and they got their toys. And, and you know how it is. They have all these toys, right? 50 toys in front of them. There's one toy that this other kid is playing with. And what toy do they want? They want the other toy. And you say, no, little Johnny, you've got all these toys. Why do you want that one toy? I want that one toy, right? I can remember my, my parents love to pull this out on me uh and show me just what a little sinner i was at age four um um I, I was like paul the chief of all sinners at the age of four um my they had a, how many remember the days of eight millimeter film those of you that remember those eight millimeter films, and that's how you would take your video and uh, my parents had this eight millimeter film on a christmas morning at the gerais household and my older sister, who's a couple years older than me, got a green pedal car. This thing today would be worth like $10 million. I mean, it was a beautiful little green pedal car. And why they got it for my sister, I have no idea. But they, gave, they bought it for my sister, Wendy. And, um, but I got in this green pedal car, and I would not get out of it. They've got the film. My sister came up to me. She wanted to get I was like smacking her, uh, pushing her away, screaming. I was holding on to the wheel of that pedal car for dear life. I loved that pedal car. And my parents loved to show. They put it on VHS. I think they put it on DVD now. And they just loved to show me and just, (laughs) look at you. What a little sinner you were. No, it's just, (laughs) it's the selfish. I wanted that green pedal car and my older sister was not getting in my way and my older sister never lets me forget that either but anyways um it's the right it's the proclivity of our heart it's the default of our heart to always go back to selfishness to to make sure that i'm catering to myself how many know that we can get very touchy when people mess with our Stuff. Don't be touching my stuff. This is my stuff. Don't be touching my stuff. Can you guess where most arguments take place in public? Are you ready? Parking lots. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Parking lots. Yup don't take my spot. I was there first, did you not see me put on my blinker? <laughs> How many of you have done that? You pull in there and you got your blinker on, and you say, don't even think about it. This is my spot. People backing up, hitting each other. I, I, I'm not kidding you, when I heard this statistic, it was on the radio, we were actually in a shopping area my wife and I were walking, I'm not, I'm not lying, it was like 20 minutes after this, we're walking out of a store and a person was not paying attention and they were flying, right? We were walking, we walked out, the person was not paying attention, they were looking down, looking at their phone, I don't know what they're doing. And literally I had to throw Kathleen almost out of the way. This guy missed us by this much and he looked up and he was like shocked, so embarrassed. I'm like, get out of your car right now, we're going at it right now. <laughs> I'll take you down right now like a bag of dirt. I couldn't. Believe, I'm looking at the guy going, "Are you serious? You could not see us." And and so I can understand where arguments take place in parking lots, right? <laughs> Don't take my spot. So what Paul does here is he clearly shows us how to overcome this infection of selfishness because every single one of us, including myself, I mean, I'm singing the worship song today and I'm feeling convicted. Because I know there's areas in my life that I haven't really laid down for the Lord. I mean, there's areas in my life where I, have I really said, blessed be the name of the Lord, you give and take away, blessed. I mean, we can sing it and it's a great worship song and their words are just so impacting and they're true. But have you ever sang a song and you're like, but it's not true for me. There are definitely things I'm struggling with. There are definitely things I'm struggling with, Lord, laying down because of my selfishness. And we all know it's a battle within our heart. Paul understood this for the Philippian churches. If they were going to continue to grow in their relationship with Christ, this was an area that they would definitely have to protect Because this area can destroy relationships, can destroy a relationship within church, can destroy marriages, none like any other if we're not careful. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 11 verses in verse 14 and 16. And and, and we're going to get this example that Paul gives for us in the person of Christ and how he humbled himself and uh, the example that Jesus has left for us to live and why our... Walk as believers in Jesus Christ must be based in the person of Jesus Christ and the example that Jesus left for us. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, verses 14 and 16. And Paul's showing Christ's example of humility. I'll be reading out the ESV version. Uh, So, let's see what it says. It says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete. My joy. So here Paul's saying again, complete my joy of what God had started in your heart. Complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. So, how is this going to happen? Paul's saying, listen, here's, I, I want my joy to be complete because I'm so excited what God is doing. So, here's what I want you to do I, I want my joy to be complete. And if you're going to have the same mind and the same love, being a full accord and one mind. This is how you do it. This is how you keep the unity within the body of Christ. This is how you keep the unity within your marriages. This is how you keep unity within your relationships. Verse 3, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do anything that's going to lift up yourself. Don't do anything that's going to bolster your pride or your conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. And here's how we do it. Here's here's how we practically do in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, which we're supposed to take care of ourselves, that's fine, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, Jesus. Now he gets to the meat of the matter. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Not just death but hanging naked on a cross for you and I. That's how obedient, not just partial obedience, Jesus became completely obedient to the Father. Verse 9, therefore, because of his attitude, because of his willingness, because of his obedience, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory to the glory to the glory of god the father everything is done for the glory of god verse 14 okay so, so so here's how it looks practically right here here here's where it hits home with every single one of us are you ready verse 14 verse 14 verse 14 ready here it goes everybody say ouch okay so we're gonna get it right out of the way right now okay do all things without grumbling or disputing ouch okay Because I know all of you were griping over the last three days when we didn't see the big orange thing in the sky, right? Okay, so do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ... I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Make me proud. Continue in this. Have the same attitude as Christ. So, here's the one point I want to make in today's message. Is the number one antidote for a selfish heart is a servant's heart. The number one antidote for my selfishness is a servant's heart. Now, let let me just real quick, if you're taking notes, you got a little sheet there, and if you want to take notes, let me just give you six real quick things why selfishness is detrimental to the church as the body of Christ, why this is detrimental, okay? So let's just look at these real quick. First of all, it creates disunity. The reason why a selfish heart creates disunity is because I want it my way. And then if I don't get it my way, then we form camps or groups who feel the same way we do. And that's very detrimental to the church as a whole. So we've got to be careful where our heart is in this whole thing. Are we serving? Because it's very hard to complain when we're serving. So it creates disunity disunity within our marriages, within our relationships. If we're constantly wanting things our way and we're very stubborn not to listen to other people and other opinions, it it can create disunity where my heart becomes hardened and am I really serving or I just want my opinion to be known? Second thing is, it doesn't exalt Christ. Sometimes we submit, sometimes we, we don't submit when it's areas of sin, if it's areas of, of doctrine that, that are mistreating the word of God. We don't submit when it's heresy. But sometimes we submit for the betterment of the church and we have to tell ourselves, it always doesn't have to be my way. Sometimes in marriages, We mutually submit to one another or in a relationship or something that we may not all, you know, you may be in a small group or something that you may want this idea and it's not going your way. And sometimes you just submit for the betterment of the whole. Number four, it will hurt the advancement of God's kingdom. So now does it create disunity? Not only it doesn't exalt Christ, but it also hurts the advancement of God's kingdom. Am I a stumbling block or am I a stepping stone? When I'm selfish, I'm not looking for ways to encourage others. I'm more concerned with, with what I want. And, and we may even say things, let, let, let's bring this down to where we live, like with missions. We may not give to missions because we may not see it as important. Because how is this benefiting me? I don't know what's going on 3,000 miles away, so how is this benefiting me? And that can actually hurt the advancement of the kingdom of God if I'm more concerned about my needs and not looking to the needs of others. Also, it will prevent the church from growing. A selfish heart cannot look beyond its own and it, and it makes it impossible to give to the needs of others. So it actually can impede the growth of one another in the body of Christ. Number five, it also separates us from others. We alienate ourselves from each other and we have a selfish heart. We're, we're, we're unwilling to bend. And and my way or the highway, and it just separates us from others. And then ultimately it will, the last one here is ultimately will alienate us from God. A selfish heart will ultimately alienate you from God because what happens is you, you get to the point of resistance where God can't even speak to your heart anymore. Because we are so concerned with my how many know that that. You can be right and be wrong at the same time. Can I get an amen? You can be right, right? You, 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 know, it, you know, what good is it, Indian proverb, what good is it to cut someone's nose off and then give them a rose to smell, right? You can be right and be wrong at the same time you can you can win the battle but lose the war so let's be careful it ultimately will alienate us from god so how do we overcome this infection of selfishness well paul gives us the example of jesus to follow because this is ultimately what we have to look to right and what paul does is he tells us to be a servant and so what i want to look at is this definition of a servant because in philippians 1 1 paul actually calls himself a servant of christ and then in philippians 2 7 Paul tells us that Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. So, Paul doesn't call himself some great apostle. The way he defines his role as a Christian is a servant of Jesus. The way he defines Jesus' role here on earth was that he took the form of a servant. Light bulbs should be going on in our head. Ding, 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 ding. You just won the showcase showdown, okay? Something should be going on in our mind saying, wait a minute, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Paul calls himself a servant. Uh, Jesus took on the form of a servant. So what does this mean? In our world today, we kind of lose the meaning of a servant because we look at it as subservient. It means to belittle. It means that, that I have to kowtow to somebody or something or my boss or this relationship, and i got to constantly kowtow, and this isn't good for me because i got to put myself ahead. I've got to be, you know, number one in this situation. And so we see this word used to describe the disciple of Christ. The apostle used it to describe their relationship to Christ. Listen. Paul says your relationship to Christ has to be exemplified by a servant's heart. Let let me explain it this way. The way you define your relationship to Christ is not that I come to church, which is a great thing to do. It's not that I read my Bible. It's not that I do Christian things. That's not what defines my relationship to Christ. Paul says your relationship to Christ must be defined by how you serve him. So the question is, how am I serving him? Well, it's seen in one way on how we serve each other. That's truly the heart of a disciple of Christ is how we're serving Christ and how we're serving each other. So what I want to do is, if we're going to break the hold of selfishness in our life, we need to understand why Paul uses this word to describe a follower of Christ. And this is by far the greatest characteristic of a Christian. So let, let, let me unpack this. Let me unpack what this word means. And in, in both cases, the Greek word here, the original language of the New Testament was written in, it's the word doulos. And basically, what the meaning of doulos was this it's one who is subservient to or entirely at the disposal of his master or a slave. Now the Greek word doulos can also mean bondservant. You may see that as you read through the New Testament. The term bondservant or slave could also refer to someone who voluntarily serves others. They give up their rights to actually serve others. Now, usually in scriptures, it refers to one who is held in a permanent position of servitude. Under Roman law, bondservant was considered the owner's personal property. Slaves essentially had no rights. So why would Paul use this word, to describe his relationship to Christ why would he use this to describe Christ's ministry on earth because it sounds like a prison term I'm a servant I'm a slave of Jesus it doesn't sound any fun it sounds like I've got to do this term this sentence for the rest of my life but I, I don't want you to miss this because if we miss the meaning here we miss the whole reason of why we serve Jesus so let's get this one point across it's not about us and it never was about us. You see, that's the problem. When we get this attitude of me, 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 that it's all about me, that if you're the only person left in the surge, Jesus would have died for you. See how it's all pointed towards me, right? <laughs> me, 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 <snaphora> me, 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 right? And so what we do is we get we live in a world that's very self-centered, that caters to all our needs. So we can get this attitude if we're not careful that Jesus is here to cater to me. So if Jesus is here to cater to me, then then he should do what I want and he should take care of the things in my life and everything should go perfect, right? And then when things don't go right, we think what God has given up up on us. So then I'm just going to live my life the way it wants and our, our faith gets shipwrecked but see it never is about us it never was the universe doesn't revolve around us as much as we'd like to think it does and I know we live in a world where everything caters to us and we feel we're entitled to certain things just because of who we are or, or where I live or what I do but not in the kingdom of God God does everything for his glory not yours now before you get all huffy with me, this is much better. Because if we do things for God's glory in our lives, it's so much better than when it stops with me. Can I get an amen? Because it stops with me, it's just short-lived. It's short-circuits. And it causes me to want more, 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 more to lift up me. But when it's about God and it's about His glory, it's so much greater and so much deeper and so much more meaningful. See, in order to break this selfish cycle in our lives, we've got to correct the understanding of ourselves. Everything we have been given is from God and it's by his undeserving grace. So if we can get this in our lives, it will literally smother a complaining spirit or a spirit of entitlement. Write this down in your notes. Here's a great definition of grace and mercy. Write this down. Grace is getting what we don't deserve Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So basically the meaning here is grace is unmerited. There's nothing you could do to earn or deserve or merit God's grace. And because of God's mercy, you're not getting what you should get, right? We all deserve death. We all, we all deserve to be punished. But through God's grace, he sent us his son to take our sins for us. Now, with understanding that this should humble us and every time I don't feel like I'm getting my own way or things don't work out the way I want them, let's go back to the cross because we don't deserve anything, right? And in fact, we, we deserve a lot worse. So here's how we, here's how we, we fix it in our lives. We need to look to what Christ did for us. And he set the example for us. And doing this very thing will bring more joy in your life than anything else. So what, what joy brought Jesus joy? What joy brought the Apostle Paul joy? Well, I'm going to look at what brought joy to the Lord. Why could Jesus call him a servant? Why did Jesus willingly lay his life down to do the will of the Father? For that very reason. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. If you can get that in your mind, God, my, we sang it, not my will, your will. Let your will be done. Not my will, but your will. If we can get that in our mind as servants, re- really, my life is here for you to do your will. So let's look at what Jesus did. Jesus did the will of the Father. He literally submitted himself to the Father. Everything he did was for, the, for his glory. Let me just give you a couple of verses. You can write them down. John 4, 34. It says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's my food. That's what I hunger and thirst for. It's to do the will of him who sent me. John 5.30 says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my will, but the will of him who sent me. And John 6.38, Jesus says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me and so what jesus was is he was he was obedient to the father he submitted himself to everything he submitted himself even to the cross he humbled himself how did he do that well he willingly paul says took on the form of a servant a bond servant meaning he didn't have to but he did to set an example for us And not only did he set an example for us, but the scriptures tell us that he counted it as a privilege to do the will of the Father. See, I want you to understand something there. God is not going to make you submit to him. God is not going to make you become a servant, and he's not going to drive you. He's not going to get a bullwhip. He's not going to tell you what to do. He's not going to make you give up anything. He's not going to do that. And you can, we can live our lives the way we want to. God's not going to just drive you to serve him. I want you to realize what he desires for you to do in relationship to his grace and understanding what God did for you is he says, follow me as a willing servant that willingly will say, I will lay it down for you because I know what you've done for me. See, now it comes out of a heart of gratitude. And now the servanthood is a bond servant who says, I willingly lay down my rights to follow you because I understand the great lengths that you went through for me. So guess what? The irritating person in the parking lot? Let it go. My wife Kathleen is the Holy Spirit in all those situations because I'm terrible in the car. This is Pastor Mike. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I don't have any patience. No, no patience whatsoever in the car. And, and God's working on me. Pray for me. Let's pray right now. Lord, give me patience in the car. Amen. Okay. Um, and so again, barden, this is Kathleen's very word. I'll quote my wife. My beautiful, wonderful, God-fearing wife. Thank God for her. She says this. Barden, let it go. Very words. Barden, Barden, Bardon, let it go. Right? Because it gets here. And, I, and what I have to do is... Right? It's will, I have the right to say something, right? Boy, do I have the right to say something. But you know what? I lay it down. Because you know what? at the end of the day, it's just not worth it, because what it's eventually going to do is rob me of an oppor- rob me of an opportunity to submit it to Christ. It robs me. It robs. This is what it does. Servanthood, when you willingly serve, it robs you of the opportunity to say, Lord, I'm going to lay this thing. Because you know what? It's not worth it. It's, it's not a ditch I'm willing to lie in. I'm just going to let this thing go. Some things you may need to talk about. Some things you may need to fight for. But, you know, there are some things that we just need to let go in servanthood to Jesus Christ. And so here Jesus willingly Humbled himself, willingly laid down his rights for our sake. So here it is. I want you to write this down. Here's what a servant of Christ is. Here, here's the. You're, this is the best definition you're ever going to hear. So write this down. Ready? Here's here's the best definition I can give you of a bond servant who willingly lays his life down. Here's what it is. It's emptying myself to fill someone else. That's ministry. You literally empty yourself to fill somebody else. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus willingly came down as, as in the form of man, humbling himself, being in the very form of man, fully God, fully man, but willingly humbled himself to become a servant so that you and I could be filled. I should have got, that was a good pause for an amen right there. You see what I'm saying? He laid everything down so you and I could be filled. So when I rob myself of that opportunity to serve someone else, I'm just filling my own self, which is so short-served, and it's not giving glory to God. So the opportunities that I have, and that's all ministry is. Ministry is not for just designed for the pastor. Ministry is... It's for all of us. You are all ministers of Jesus Christ. And when I get this servant heart and God has humbled me and recognized by his grace and his mercy what he's done for me, then I understand that ministry is about emptying myself so that somebody else can be filled. Doesn't it just, I'll be honest with you here, doesn't it make you feel good when you minister to somebody else? Uh, doesn't it make it, it does. There's just something about it. When I'm able to pray for somebody, somebody's going through a difficult time and you pray with them and you see them reach out to Christ and you minister to them or you help them or whatever you do and you serve the Lord and, and you could be doing a million other things but you say, you know what, I'm gonna lay my rights down at this time just so I can serve. And it just makes you feel better, doesn't it? There's a joy there that you cannot put a price tag on. You can't do it. You see, that's what a servant is all about. It's about emptying myself. See, selfishness, write this down because I, I got some doozies today. That, that's not a good, but I got one more for you and then we're gonna close it up. Ready? Here's another one. Selfishness dies where an attitude of service lives. I was just hot this week when I was writing my message, so just write them down because you don't get too many of these every week, okay? Write this one down. Selfishness dies where an attitude of service lives. So the question I have to ask myself is this, am I more of a consumer or am I more of a giver? What are some things in my life that are consuming me, what are some attitudes in my life that are consuming me that I need to check? And 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 it is the definition of of and this this one was hard for me because I had to look at my life and say, Lord, am I really serving you? And how does my service look to my kids? How does my service look to my wife when I see the sink full of dishes, and I ain't going to do themselves right? I ain't going to get up, walk, wash themselves, put themselves in the dishwasher, put them, right? We come on, right? And, and there's that time you're like I need to serve. I need to serve here. Or serve, my, or serve my care. Or whatever it is and I just need to empty myself. I could be doing a million other things but I need to serve at this time. So I can empty myself so I can fill someone else. I just want to close with this. I want to show you this picture. There's a picture of me and this pastor Cecilio. This was on our trip to Panama and as I was I talked about this pastor on Wednesday in our Bible study and I found the picture and, and um, this guy was a great guy, great pastor. And as I was running through this message, I thought about this pastor. What this pastor did was, is all week he cooked for the construction team. Uh, the building that I was working in, he was working just outside of it. He just had a little propane burner and he would be there as early as we were in the morning cooking all morning to prepare us lunch. And I'm holding up the fish because... Uh, pastor Cecilia liked to fish, so we, we, that kind of caught my attention. But what I didn't realize, he, um, the day before, he went fishing to catch us all a bunch of fresh fish so that he could cook it for us, so that we can enjoy this fresh fish for lunch. And what he did is all week, he did nothing but serve us. And wh- here's what I loved about this this pastor. He had such a servant's heart. When you were sitting down to eat, he would just say, "Hey, you, you know, do you want more? And here's more." And he would take your plate. And he would—he t- just—he just served. He just had a heart of of servanthood. And um, pastors a congregation, a small congregation, and um, it was so great to be able to bless him during that week and 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 pray for him and just bless him financially. But but I love this picture because here's. A pastor had such joy in his heart with not a lot of things. It was his joy just to serve. And, I, and I, as I was writing this message, I just began to think about this pastor carving out a week of his own life, which he could have been doing a lot of other things, just to serve us, to go the extra mile and actually catch the fish, to if ever you've ever filleted fish or it's not a fun job. He was there early in the morning. There must have been like 30 small fish later, just filleting them, filleting them, filleting them, working hard so that we could have a good meal. Emptying ourselves to fill somebody else. Amen? Jesus emptied himself so that you and I could be filled filled with unexpressible gratitude and righteousness that the things of this world could never give us. Lord, help us. Help me to understand what it means to serve. You see, what Pastor Cecilio got was this. He understood something. Ultimately, it wasn't us that he was serving. It was Jesus that he was serving. That's why he had so much joy. Every fish that he caught was for Christ because he knew it was going to bless somebody else. Man, Lord, get that into my head. That when I'm able to serve, it gives me joy because I'm ultimately serving who? My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason why Jesus was able to serve and not be served because he ultimately knew it was going to draw you and I to God the Father, to reconcile our broken relationship with Him. Amen? And I just want to say this to you as a church. Thank you, thank you, thank you for serving. Just thank you for serving. You know, so many of you do small things that may not be big things that may, everybody may not see. It's in the small things. Thank you, nursery worker, for changing diapers. Thank you. You're serving. It's not the fun jobs, right? But you're serving. Thank you for doing that. In our small ways, Lord, just use us so that your kingdom can be blessed and that other people can be filled with your joy. Amen. Amen. Lord, I just pray today that as we just come before you and we close this service out and we just sing of how thankful we are for you, Lord, I pray as we just even sing this last song that this would be our prayer to you today. That we would say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, for all that you've done for me. And so, Lord, I pray as we sing this, this would be our prayer. And that, Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us here today to just recalibrate our lives again to what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ. Thank you for the example that Jesus gave us. And so, Lord, I just pray for every individual here that's just struggling with their lives, struggling with just areas of their lives that they just feel down about. Lord, I pray that you would bring them back to the cross and just show them all the things that Christ has done for them, that within them, even in their difficult circumstances and situation, a heart of worship and praise would come forth from their lives. And we would change the attitude of ungratefulness to an attitude of thankfulness for what you've done for us. So Lord, let us be those servants that you called us to be. And uh, may we make you joyful, Jesus, in how we serve one another because ultimately we're serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and uh, let's sing this. Let's make it our prayer. God bless you. Amen.
1: Stu. Stoo- The may pass and whatever lies before me let me be sing and let me me come bless the Lord
0: Amen. Listen, before I release you to go today, if uh, any of you need prayer today, our uh, prayer partners will be up front here. Anything you're going through or just need prayer for, we'd love to just pray for you and minister for you. And also, don't forget, if any of you just need like a devotional, uh, let me just encourage you that we've got um, God's words for today that you can pick up. Any of you just made a commitment to Christ today and want to grow in your relationship with him, we've got booklets out on the table called What Now? And if you don't have a Bible, you can take those in the back of the seats. Those are free. And uh, we want you to take advantage of those so you can grow in your relationship with the Lord. Amen. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Go in God's grace. Amen.